Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. I hope you had a great week. If you didn't, guess what? Today starts a brand new week. This will be a good one in Jesus' name. I want to jump into a a verse of Scripture that the Lord's been speaking to me about. And this is going to be a two-part sermon, by the way. I'm going to preach the first part. I decided I could either preach for an hour and a half once or I'll just preach 40 minutes twice. How's that sound? Amen. Uh, this is a two-part message, and you'll see why later. Uh, it's a verse that I want to talk to you about. So make sure you come back next week to hear the second part of this sermon. Robin and I just returned from the Philippines on a missions trip, and at the end of this message, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that experience. Um, let's go to James chapter 1, verse 27. I want to talk to you about a verse here that a lot of us have heard over the years, and I think maybe, uh, hopefully we can share a little enlightenment on it these next two weeks. James 1.27, I want to read it first from the New King James. It says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and, everybody say and, and. that means you got to listen to the next part too to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That same verse from the New Living Translation says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I want to talk on this subject today, pure religion. Pure religion. Can we pray together before we do that? Father, thank you. For this opportunity to worship with the body of Christ. Thank you for the young men and women who just poured their hearts out and led us into your presence. And now, I just pray that the word of God would touch us, challenge us, speak to us, and let our hearts be open to receive. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Pure religion. New King James Version said it this way, pure and undefiled religion. The New Living Translation said, pure and genuine religion. Uh, The King James said pure religion and undefiled before God. The modern English version said it this way, and I like this too. It says religion that is pure and undefiled before God. James is talking about what religion is supposed to be like, and he uses words like pure and undefiled to describe it. Other translations use the words faultless or unblemished or spotless and no matter what the words are James is describing something that I think still applies to our lives here today now let me start off first by talking about the word religion now religion has kind of gotten a bad rap lately wouldn't you admit to that you know when we think of the word religion we think of a lot of things we think of steeples and churches and rituals we might think of denominations or Sunday schools or preachers or sermons but there's also also a negative connotation that's associated with the word religion and I understand why we have a loose one here folks amen (laughs) he almost made it amen (laughs) 
If you didn't see, there was a child that broke free of mama. Amen. He almost made it. Try again next week, bub. You might, you might pull it off. Um, and I understand why there's negative connotations. Abusive religious systems. Uh, a works-based faith that sometimes leads to legalism. The elitism that so often we see uh, among people who identify themselves as believers. And man, if anybody ought to know we ain't elite, it ought to be believers. Amen? We're saved by the grace of God. And we live in an increasingly anti-religious world. And the word religion makes some people cringe. People often look at religion as being something for crazy people or something that can uh, we blame deaths all over the world on or the cause of wars or the cause of division, something that ought to be done away with. But hear me, let me just tell you something. When it comes to religion, you can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. Amen? The word religion here in its most broken down form means this, an outward expression of faith or a demonstration of something that is inwardly true. Hear me. There is absolutely nothing wrong with an outward expression of faith or a demonstration of something that is true. Hear me. You can have relationship and religion at the same time. All right, I feel like i got to defend religion here a little bit because religion's been getting beat up on a lot. They don't have to be exclusive of one another. And this passage is describing pure and undefiled religion or an outward expression or demonstration of something that is inwardly true, namely of who God is and who God and what God has done for us in our lives. And while we know there are many religions or religious systems in the world, let me just remind you, there's only one religion that leads you to Jesus. Let me get a little help in the house, amen. And Christianity is that one true faith, and Christianity is the religion that James is talking about here. James is encouraging those who identify as Christians to live a life that glorifies God. So let me just say this. Bad Christians don't make Christianity bad. Come on. Messed up religion doesn't mean all religion is bad. Religious systems that have been contaminated by the thoughts of man does not mean that the religion that James is talking about is something that we should throw out with the bathwater. Martin Luther once said this, the world does not need a definition of religion as much as it needs a demonstration. Boom. Mic drop. That's it. Right? We need to quit talking about religion and we just need to be pure and undefiled religion. Amen. James is talking about a religion that's good, the kind that pleases God, and he's referring to a relationship with God that is based on forgiveness and love and spiritual intimacy. You know, and I've, and I've heard people say, you know, relationship, not religion, and I get that, but listen, you don't have to have one without the other. Amen? Pure and genuine religion is loving God and others with right motives and living a pure life. James makes a contrast between religion that is worthless and all of the other verses and then pure religion in verse 27. Amen. And hear me, specifically, it's loving God and loving others and living a pure life. That's what he's talking about here. It's when we're motivated and inspired to honor God and others because we love them, so therefore we care for them and we want to be a blessing to them because you're committed to them just as we are to our Heavenly Father. It's loving God. What? With all our heart, 
our mind, our soul, our strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Amen? That is pure and genuine religion. It's having a relationship with God that is guilt-free and is based on God's forgiveness. But hear me, pure and genuine religion is a process. Come on, you don't just become born again. You don't just get saved and immediately you're there. You're not going to get there overnight. I can just tell you from personal experience, I became a Christian when I was 16. I am now 56. I am on a 40-year journey, and I ain't there yet. Come on. It's a process. Amen. The word pure is, comes from the Greek word katharos, and it means to, it's describing a cleansing process. For example, it's the same word that's used to describe the cleansing of a wound in order to get rid of any dirt and thereby uh, make it so it can heal. And how many of you know sometimes it takes a wound weeks or months or even years to heal before it can become pure? It's also a word, the root word that's used in psychology to describe the cleansing of the mind or the emotions. It's a process, right? Getting rid of harmful thoughts or emotions that hinder you. It's a process. So when we're talking about pure religion, we are purifying ourselves by removing impure motives and wrong thoughts about our relationship with God and with others. And notice who ultimately gets to decide if it's pure or not. James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion. Everybody say it with me. In the sight of God the Father. One thing that's messed up about bad religion is we are trying to use it to impress everybody else. At the end of the day, your neighbor doesn't decide whether you're right with God or not. Oh, come on, somebody. It's between you and God. You don't have to impress anybody. I'm just going to tell you in this church, we're not impressed with your righteousness. And we're not discouraged by your sinfulness, amen? We want you to find a relationship with Jesus so one day you can stand before him and say, God, I did the best I can, and you want to hear him say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. In the sight of God. I love the way the Living Bible puts this verse in James 1.27. The Christian who is pure and without fault from God the Father's point of view is what? The one who takes care of orphans and widows and who remains true to the Lord, not soiled and dirtied by his contacts with the world. So hear me, if your religion, your relationship with God is not producing concern or compassion or thoughtfulness toward others, can I just tell you, your religion is empty and it needs some help, amen? Or on the other hand, if your religion, again, your relationship with Jesus is producing kindness and forgiveness and concern and compassion and acts of generosity toward others, then it is pleasing in the sight of God. Pure and genuine religion not only changes your perspective about God, but man, it changes your perspective about other people too. Doesn't it? You care more, you love more, you want to help more. And by the way, James is not commanding us to do something here. He's inviting us to be something. Hallelujah. He's inviting us to rise to another level, pure, undefiled, pleasing to God, to be the kind of people who have been so deeply affected by the gospel that it causes us to express it in a pure way to people who are around us, amen? Verse 27 is really giving us the two major parts of what being a Christian is supposed to be, love and purity. When you break those verses down, that verse down, that's what it means. 
Love, by the way, it's the central theme in all of Paul's writings. We correct others in love. We teach in love. We encourage in love. We welcome in love. We forgive in love. We sacrifice in love. We live in love. 1 Corinthians 13, it's a famous passage. You hear it at weddings all the time, right? But I think sometimes we forget and we think that's only for husbands and wives. No. And only for them. No. It still says that our love is supposed to be selfless, unconditional, unending. True love keeps no record of wrongs. True love does not rejoice at wrong. So how do we demonstrate love according to this verse? It gives us two principles. One of them I want to unpack with the time I have left in this sermon. And then the rest I want to talk to you about next week. There's two principles found in James 1 and 27. I want to talk about the first half. James 1, 27, New Century Version. Religion that God accepts as pure and without fault is this. By the way, anytime you read your Bibles and it says, is this, or whatever, you need to... Pay attention to the next part, right? Caring for orphans or widows who need help. And, and a lot of times we forget this part of the verse. Keeping yourself free from the world's evil influence. We'll talk about that next week. But see, religion that God accepts as pure and without fault is caring, the scripture says, for orphans and widows who need help. Different translations use words such as to help in their time of need or to care for or to look after, amen. This passage is telling us that it's got to be more than just, you know, the occasional glance towards somebody who's hurting, amen. But it's got to become a practice, a habitual practice, and an attitude, and an awareness, and not just an isolated act of, of do-goodism that we sometimes do, or charity. That word caring literally means to look after someone, with the idea of seeking them out to bless them and to help them. And by the way, caring is both reactive compassion and proactive compassion. And here's what I think we've done real good in the church. I think we're doing, we've always done pretty good about reactive compassion, right? Something bad happened, and we jump in and help. Something bad is going on, and we jump in and help. Maybe there's a disaster, we jump in and help. Or we do. But what I really think the Spirit is challenging us is in the area of proactive compassion. Some translations use the word visit, the Greek word to visit. It appears 11 times in the New Testament, and it means to visit and to investigate and to supervise, to invest in, to oversee, to have regard for, to examine closely. Luke 168 uses that same word when it's describing the redemptive work of Jesus in our lives. When the scripture said, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 25, 36. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. See, when Jesus visited us and he redeemed us, he came near to us so that our brokenness, we wouldn't have to be broken anymore, so that he could bind up our wounds. Jesus in the gospel said, I see you where you are and I'm coming after you. And I think that's what James is trying to tell us, that the gospel is best put on display when we echo that same sentiment to the lives of people around us, to show a James 127 kind of concern, a pure religion kind of concern that requires us to sometimes take our focus off of ourselves and put that on other people.
See, when God's word takes root in our hearts, it begins to shift our focus from self to others. Amen? And this central theme, by the way, is woven throughout the scripture. Verse 27, though, specifically says orphans and widows. What does that mean? Orphans and widows, the fatherless and the husbandless, it easily represents, and you need to always understand the culture that these passages were written in. It easily represented two of the most marginalized and pushed aside classes of people in the day of James's writing. I mean, orphans and widows, they carried no legacy. They were unable to contribute anything to society. So you know what society did? They pushed them away. They rejected them. And James is using them as representatives of the most marginalized, disenfranchised, and vulnerable groups of people in his day that you could come in contact with. But hear me, James is not limiting love and compassion to orphans and widows only. Amen? These are, this is a descriptive passage. Or in other words, if we were to walk up to James back then and said, Hey, James, but what about the victims of trafficking? Or what about the homeless? What about parents who are in crisis or, or my neighbor that is struggling across the street? James would not look at you and say, no, orphans and widows only. <laughs> James would not say, nope, that's not what I said. I said orphans and widows. No, no, no. Instead, I believe James would say, yes, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Those are our people. Folks, we need to run toward brokenness and not away from it. Amen? And by the way, look at this. The emphasis here relies on the phrase, in their distress. In their distress, New Living Translation in the NIV. Who need help, New Century Version. In their affliction, King James Version. In their trouble, New King James. That word distress has its primary meaning from the idea of suffering that is brought about by crushing circumstances. And folks, how many of you know we toss that word suffering around pretty liberally, right? Oh, I'm suffering today. What happened? I didn't get my coffee. <laughs> the air condition broke in my house last night. My car is in the shop. I'm suffering. No, no, no. We have a totally different definition of suffering. Come on, somebody in America, than what the rest of the world understands as suffering. Amen. I'm not talking about minor inconveniences, and I don't think James was either, but real hardships. Matter of fact, this word was used to describe the pressing of grapes to get the juice out. Yeah, that's suffering right there. And by the way, let me tell you, there's people in your life who are at this very moment under severe distress. Who am I talking about? It might be people that are feeling the pressure that comes from divorce. Or maybe daily pressure. It comes from being a single parent trying to raise kids on one income. If you haven't been there, you're, that's real distress. How about chronic illness or a sudden death? How about the pressure that some people live with with daily discrimination? Come on. Or how about a, a fractured relationship? Or how about a family member or a person who's living through mental illness or unemployment? Amen. Come on, folks. There are people around us that are going through daily distress and you might be some of those people right here in this room but James says a genuine relationship with God pure religion produces a desire to help others in their distress can I tell you just a, a moment of transparency here that when I first started pastoring 28 years ago or whatever it was 
I thought my main focus was just on getting people saved. Helping them become disciples of Jesus. And man, you just come on, get in the church, come on and join us. And, and I didn't really realize how much God wants us to take care of the world around us. And show them the light, amen? And one of the signs of being a genuine follower of Jesus is having compassion for other people. Look at this verse from the message. It, it says it in strong terms, James 1, 26 and 27. Anyone who sets himself up as a religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religious is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. See, and when we do, when we take steps toward the broken and not away from them, it puts the heart of God on display with a vividness and a clarity and a purity and a cleanliness and a holiness unlike anything else. Jesus one time told a parable that ought to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is really like. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 35. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then look at verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you what? You were doing it to me. Jesus said, you didn't know it, but when you fed that homeless guy, you were doing it to me. When you put your arms around that struggling single mom and said, here's a little bit, I'm going to try to help, God's going to help you through, I just want you, when you did it, you were doing it unto me. When you comforted the person that just lost their husband, you were doing it to me. You were doing it to me. Pure and genuine religion means caring about, caring about others. And it's at this point, I want to take my last few minutes and I want to talk to you about my recent trip, our trip, to one of our missions partners, Ima's Home for Children, the orphanage that we just visited in the Philippines. Right after Easter, Robin and I left for a trip to the Philippines to visit this orphanage that our church supports called Ima's Home. And you see a picture of it there on the screen. This is their current campus. It will only house 118 children and the staff that's needed, and it's maxed out. They're at the place now where they have to turn, turn away children. The founder sent me a picture of a little girl last week, and he said, we just took in child number 119. Don't tell anybody in the Philippines they're one over. <laughs> But he said, the reason we took her in, she was a little girl, and from the top of her head down to her blouse line, I could see burns and scabs all over her face and her neck. And he said, her aunt, who was supposed to be taking care of her, got her kicks by throwing hot water in her face and scalding this child. And so they took her in, and he was worried about how she would adjust. And then he sent me a video the next day, and it showed her riding a bicycle up and down the halls 
of the dorm, and the other children were standing in the doorways cheering for her, and they were welcoming her in. The story of how this, uh, and by the way, they're trying to construct a second campus right now that's going to allow them to expand to 300 children, and they hope to start adding more children in just a few weeks. You can show them the second campus picture. That's the first two buildings of the new campus that they're building, and to God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Now, let me tell you how this orphanage came into existence. The, this home, and, and they're trying to call it a home and not an orphanage, this home is about two hours north of Manila, and it was founded 10 years ago by Pastor Jim and Nancy Kilgore, who pastor in Houston, Texas. That's Pastor Jim. The children call him Papa Jim, and they call his wife Mama Nancy. And Jim and Nancy, uh, his, Jim's dad built a Bible college in the Philippines many years ago. And Jim was there pa uh, speaking at uh, one of the seminars there at the Bible school, and he was riding home in his cab back to his motel, and these children all rushed the car, and they came up and they were begging, and they were wanting food, and they were wanting money. So he asked the cab driver, he said, what's the deal with these children? Why are they in the streets? Why are they begging? And the cab driver didn't answer him. Jim assumed it was a language barrier, so he didn't think any more about it. And then the next day, the same thing happened. And the children rushed the car, and he asked the cab driver again, he said, why are these children rushing to the car, and why are they in the streets? And the guy didn't answer again. And so when they got back to the hotel, and it happened one more time, Jim stopped, and before he got out, he said, I've asked you more than one time, why are these children running to the car and begging, and why are they needing food? And he said, the driver paused for a little while, and then he said this, and I quote, he said, this is the national shame of the Philippines. And he said, what do you mean? He said, those children live in the streets. He said, they're homeless. They don't have any food. Many of them are abused. Many of them are orphans. Many of them are runaways. And he said, Jim said it just, God got a hold of his heart. And he went to his hotel room and he said he just wept and he cried and he prayed. And he called his wife and he said, honey, I feel like God is telling us we've got to do something for these children. He began to do research, and I actually verified this this week. You can go home and Google it yourself. They estimate that there's over 250,000 to 1 million street children living just in the city of Manila alone. Can you imagine a million homeless children living in the streets? And many of them are victims of sex trafficking and prostitution and severe physical abuse, and many of them are malnourished and lacking in every way. I can show you some pictures. They Jim drove us by, and he showed us a couple of pictures of the neighborhood where they had saved some of these children, and there's some pictures there of that neighborhood, and it was very unsafe, and I asked Jim, I said, what would happen if we got out and we walked down through those alleyways? He said, it wouldn't be good. He said, you don't want to ever do that, and they were saving these children, and when we arrived at the home, and I'm going to tell you some stories about these kids in just a moment. But when we arrived at the home, Jim told us, he said, now, I've got to warn you in advance. He said, when you get out of the van, these kids, if you don't, hold on just a minute, pause just a second, pause the video. He said, if you don't want to be hugged, you just need to stay in the van. I said, well, God bless you, amen. 
I love hugs. I am ready. Amen. And we were all, he said, because these children, many of them, they just don't have a lot of affection. And, and there's, I mean, the female staff do the best they can. They have very few men uh, on the campus. And he told us men, he said, get, he said they are really going to hang on you guys. He said, just show them healthy male affection. And so when we got there, he said, now be prepared to be greeted by some of these kids. Some of them were at school. And here's a video of what we experienced when we first drove onto the campus. Turn the audio up, please. We're just arriving in Imus. Open the window. Open the window. You'll hear them yelling, Papa Jim, when they recognize he's in the band. If that don't warm your heart, I need to pray for you after church. Amen. But the children, there's so many amazing stories I could tell. A lot of stories I can't tell because we have children in the room. You can imagine. One little boy, when he arrived there, he was three or four years old. He was in that line of faces, but I don't want to point him out. He couldn't walk. He's been there now for four years. The reason he couldn't walk was... Every day his mother would wrap his legs in bandages and wrap it up so that she could go onto the street and pretend that he was crippled so that she could beg. And she did this for years until they took her children away from her. When he arrived at the orphanage, he couldn't walk. He couldn't even sit up. And it took him six months before he could even learn to walk. And now he's one of the boys that runs around the campus and has a wonderful time there. Amen. There's another story of the first five children that arrived at the campus. The middle child who was five years old. The parents would lock the children in their home while they went out and partied and did whatever. And they would leave them in the home for days. Children ranging from the age of nine down to the age of two. And they would leave them in the home without food. The five-year-old girl would open up the window. It was a second or third story apartment. And she would climb out on a ledge and crawl to the next door neighbor's apartment and break into their apartment and bring food back and feed her brothers and sisters. Nobody even knew this was happening until the girl fell off the ledge into the street and became unconscious. Police found, they intervened, and they sent this family to the home. The degree of abuse that happened to the older children, I can't even describe but the oldest boy was not even able to stay in the orphanage because he was so damaged. There's another story of a girl whose father used to beat her and her brother whenever he drank. And one particular time, he woke up from his drunkenness and one of the chairs was broken in a bunch of pieces. And he asked the girl, he said, what happened to that chair? And she said, you smashed it when you were beating my brother. And he left, took her with him somewhere and got drunk and he tried to just ditch his daughter and so she rode some jeepneys jeepneys are like these bus type vehicles that they use for public transportation and somehow the little girl found her way back home and when she got home 
her words, she told this story to us. She said, I was expecting for my mom and dad to be excited to see me, but instead my dad said, why did you come back? We don't want you. I was having a conversation with a little eight-year-old girl, and her picture is among these pictures, but I won't point out who she is. And the kids, by the way, let me just say, the kids hang on you the whole time you're there, all right? I mean, it's hot. It was 94 degrees. The heat index said 108. We were sweating. Your boy was sweating. I'm just going to tell you. Your boy was sweating. And I was sitting there talking to this girl, and some of her friends were around her. And, I mean, the kids are hanging on you, and you just get used to it. And I've got a couple, i got a scar on my arm. It's about two inches long from where I hurt my arm when I was a little boy. And so, you know, the kids are intrigued by everything. And they're rubbing the scar, and they asked me what the scar was from. So I told them how I hurt myself when I was a little boy. And while I'm talking, the eight-year-old girl pulls up her skirt. And she had a huge scar, a terrible burn mark from about three inches below her knee to about three inches above her knee. And then... Without thinking, I said, what happened? How did you hurt yourself? And then I realized, as soon as the words got out of my mouth, I was like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have asked. But she just looked at me, and she paused, and she said, Uncle Buddy, that's what they called me. The Uncle Buddy, they said, I don't know what happened. And the other little boy was pointing to her leg. He said, fire, fire, fire. And then she said, Uncle Buddy, do you think it was a fire? I said, honey, I don't know. It was probably a fire. And then I just thought, to myself, what could have happened? And she doesn't even know, and the people in the staff, they don't even know what happened to this girl. And there's so many stories like this I could tell you that we took the oldest teenagers to the mall whenever some of the pastors from the states come, and we took them to the mall, and there were four pastor couples on this trip, and we took them to the mall, and we gave each child a modest budget, and they went there, and they were shopping, and the one girl that was with Robin uh, she had a little bit of money left, and so she wanted to use her money to buy something for her sister, who was also in the orphanage. When the children turned 16, and I'm saying this for the benefit of all the parents that are out here, when the children turned 16, Papa Jim takes them to the mall, and they get a special treat. He buys them their first cell phone at the age of 16. Yeah, now, I know it's a little different here, but these kids are so excited. They don't get any minutes to call anybody. They're only allowed the Wi-Fi a few times a week at the orphanage. I think they have to turn their phones in for obvious reasons for their safety. But I got a couple of messages from two of the girls, and they said, we miss you, Uncle Buddy and Aunt Robin. And they sent us a couple of pictures of them with their friends. One of the most moving experiences, though, was the worship services that we were a part of. And I'm almost done. By the way, I did my first children's sermon in probably 25 years. That's another story altogether. That's another story altogether. We had a lot of fun with these kids, and I told you about them, you know, hanging on me. One night, they did a little dance party. I've never seen children that love music as much as these little children do. But they had a dance party for us. So we're all set up. We're lined up out front, and, and we're sweating. And I looked over, and now this is when I tell you kids are hanging on you, I mean they're hanging on you. I had a girl sitting on my left knee. I had a boy sitting on my right knee. I had about six kids crowned around my feet. Then I had about four of them pressing in behind me. Now, remember, it's 100 degrees. Your boy is sweating. (laughs) All of a sudden, one of the kids grabbed my arm, pulled it around their neck, and held it close. I'm like, I literally have one appendage left. (laughs) 
they grab my other arm and they pull it around them. And then I'm like, there's nothing left. But all there was, some hands started rubbing through my hair. And then I thought, well, that actually feels pretty good. <laughs> and then <laughs> one little boy comes up and he started doing this. Hello, 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 hello. And I looked, I said, hey, Robin, look. Hello. <laughs> but can I tell you, I was eating it up. I actually got in the van. I said, you know what? I never thought this day would come, but my hug meter is actually full for this day. But in the worship services, we had three different worship services on Saturday. They divide them up in age groups. The room we were in was too small for all the students. And then we had a service on Sunday. And the children were divided into different groups. I wanted you to just be a part of one of these little small worship services, if you will. Go ahead and play that video. It's just 90 seconds. saying he loves us, he loves us so. several occasions when Robin and I were sitting together, and this happened to the other pastor couples too, the children would run up, come here Robin, just come up right here, and we'll demonstrate, we'll just come up here, we can sit here, we would be sitting in our chairs, sweating <laughs> profusely, and then the children would run up, and they would grab my hand, and they would grab her hand, and they would stick them together, and then they would hold them, and then they would look and say, Uncle Buddy, you're never going to leave Aunt Robin, are you? And they'd say, or Aunt Robin, you're not going to get a divorce, are you? And so many of these children, that's what they grew up in. Abandonment, isolation, heartbreak. And then, thank you, babe. Then these children, when they started singing these songs, it dawned on me, the lyrics of the songs that we sing and how different those lyrics mean and what they mean coming from the heart of an orphaned, abandoned, and abused child. And then in one of the worship services, they began to sing, and I wish I would have videoed it. These little children that had been abandoned started singing, All my life you have been faithful. 
All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in the darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. And can I tell you, when they started singing that, and they said, I've known you as a father, and I thought, these kids, some of them have never known a father. All my life you have been faithful. And I looked up at the Lord and I said, they, they feel like you've been faithful. And in that moment, the Lord whispered in my ear, I want you to do more. And he said, I want Life Church to do more. Now, I'm not saying this braggingly, but I've learned to recognize the still, small voice of the Lord. And he doesn't always speak to me clearly, but he spoke to me then. So I asked him, I said, Lord, tell you what, what do you want me to do? And then he spoke again. And he said, I want Life Church to feed those children. I want you to feed those children. Now, we already send them something monthly, but I went to the director and I asked her, I said, before I leave on this trip, I said, can you please tell me what it costs to feed all the children and the staff each day? She said, oh, I could tell you right now, this woman was amazing. She started rattling off, this is how much the food costs, this is how much the water costs, this is how many, she started telling me all these different things, and she said, this is what it costs. And it ended up being around $4,000 a month. And that's substantially more than what we send right now. So I went and I told Robin, I said, what I felt like the Lord said. And of course, those of you who know my wife, she said, yes. If I'd have said it was $40,000 a month, she would have said yes. So I told her, I said, I'm going to go tell Pastor Jim, and you just have to know my personality to appreciate this. I said, I'm going to go tell Pastor Jim what the Lord said before I talk myself out of this or before the devil talks me out of it, or before my flesh talks me out of it. So I went and I told him, I said, Pastor Jim, we're going to send $4,000 a month, and we're going to take over the responsibility of feeding these children. And I want to tell you, I mailed the first check for the month of April this week by faith. Amen? Now, before you think, well, man, this church is probably rich and they got plenty of money, I'm just going to tell you, this is a step of faith for us. And I'm going to tell you what the need is. And we don't do high-pressure offerings here. Nobody will ever harass you. We're not going to take your name. We're not going to get your pledge amount. I'm not going to make you raise your hands. But I'm just going to tell you, I want to raise $50,000 to feed these children this year. And some of you, go ahead and start playing the music, please. I'm wrapping up. Some of you, the Lord talks to you like he talks to me. Some of you, he's going to talk to you, and he's going to ask you to make a sacrifice. Here's what I want to tell you. Whatever you do over the next weeks, months, whatever it might be, 100% of it is going to go to feed those children. One month of food is going to be $4,000. He's going to ask some of you to do that.
One week of food is going to be $1,000. One day of food, if you're so inclined, is about $135. Now, this is before they expand. Next year, if the Lord wants us to keep doing it, we're just going to keep on feeding those children. Amen. Some of you might say, well, Pastor, I thought we were going to get new carpet this year. Well, I thought we were too. But I'd much rather feed some children, amen? Come on, somebody. We'll just keep, we'll just keep on cleaning the stains, amen? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand with me all over this house. Just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do this year? And you can designate your Kingdom Builders offering. You can call it Philippines. You can call it Imas. You can call it Orphanage. Whatever you want. We'll know what it is. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to practice pure and undefiled religion. We're going to look at the needs of others more than we look at the needs of ourselves. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to watch God's blessings poured out, not only on those children, but on all those people. And I talked to Jim, and he said, you know, buddy, he said, I know if there's 400,000 homeless children in Manila, alone I know I can't help all of them but I can help these kids and you know what church I know we can't help every need we can't help every child but we can do what the Lord asks us to do and help the ones that's in our thing because here's what I know I can't help everybody but I can't help somebody and what would happen in this world if everybody helped somebody and I believe we can get there. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up this altar right now. And I'm just going to invite you to come. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. If you want to give, please give. If, if you can't give, you can pray. You can ask God, Lord, help me to care for the people that's around me. Help me, Lord. This isn't just about orphans and widows, amen. This is about the people that you work with. Come on, this is about the people that you go to school with. This is about the people that you might be sitting in the same row with them at church, amen? You can show them love. Maybe you can buy them some groceries. Maybe you can put your arm around them and just say, I love you and I'm here for you. Whatever it takes to show love and care, that's what God is calling us to do. He's asking us to move toward the broken and not away from them. So would you join me in this altar? Would you mind to just walk out and say, Lord, I'm ready. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And whatever you ask me to become, God, I'll do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just pray that prayer of commitment right now. Lord, I want to do it, God. I want to make a difference, God. God, whether it's for orphans in the Philippines or maybe it's for people right here in this city, God, I want to make a difference. I want to show the pure love of God by loving without pretense. By loving without judging. By sharing what I have with those who are less fortunate. God, I want to do it in Jesus' name. I want to do it in Jesus' name. Come on, that's right. You know why? Because all my life, all my life, he's been faithful. Yes. All my life, you have been. Yes, yes, yes.
just take a moment and thank him for his blessings in your life. Come on. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for every blessing. But Lord, just help me open my eyes to the needs that are around me, Lord. Help me to do it in Jesus' name. all over this house. Come on, somebody. Come on, Life Church. We're going to do more than we've ever done. Ha! We're going to help more people than we've ever helped. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Such a beautiful, beautiful day. I told the first service I was wrecked. I was digging the tissues out. Oh, God is so good. Oh, you're so faithful, Jesus. I have lived in the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord. I told the first service I'm very blessed. I um, work in mental health and do some substance abuse counseling. And this week we had, I had the opportunity I'm going to call it an opportunity because I really didn't want to do it and I was really stretched. I had a client that was very angry. Um, he was, um, it was bad. It was really bad. I'm not going to go into any of that, but I wanted my boss to say I didn't have to do it. And we were discussing judgment and all kinds of things and sometimes we have to look inside because we all have our our things right and so he looked at me and he said Davina can you see beyond how he is and how he's presenting and all the things that he's done in his life and can you see his humanity and I said I can I said I can I said, because every day when I go to work, I pray that God will help me to see humanity beyond the presentation, beyond the anger, beyond the hurt, beyond the pain. And one of the things I read one time that has always stuck with me is I read a quote that said, you will never look into the eyes of a person that God does not love. And that has helped me because it's helped me put judgment aside, it's helped me put my own biases aside, and just see humanity the way that God wants us to. And I'm grateful, I'm so grateful. I have great, great people in my life that help me. And I'm challenging you today. Maybe in your life there are people you need to see beyond the pain, you need to see beyond the hurt, you need to look beyond, and be, be the Christian, be that person. Lay down the judgment and all the biases and live in the goodness of God. Man, in AA they say, we get it to give it away. And today, we are blessed. We are blessed so we can give it away. Amen? Amen. So I'm gonna go over the announcements because I could talk all day about this. This is such, such a good, thank you, Pastor Thompson. It's a word of God, I'm so grateful. All right. Connect cards are behind the seat in front of you.
if you would please fill those out. If you've changed address, phone number, even if this is not your first time here, please fill one out and give that to our church office so we can have the right phone number for you and email address and all that good stuff. If this is your first time being here, thank you so much for joining us. I don't think there was a better day for you to come. This was so great. Every part of this service was awesome, and I'm so glad you came today. And if you will fill that out, we will not harass you. That's our promise, but we do want to connect with you. And uh, First Wednesday is this week. You do not want to miss First Wednesday. What a great time that we have in prayer. We do communion. Come on out First Wednesday, 7 o'clock this Wednesday. Growth Track, if you are new to Life Church and you want to know more about us or you want to figure out your place here and find out how you can how you can join us please come to growth track on saturday may 13th 9 to 1 um, child care will be provided and we do need to know if you're coming so if you need child care or if we want to prepare food we want to make sure that we have enough for you um, also mother uh, on mother's day we're doing child dedications if you have never dedicated your child to the lord this is your opportunity even if they're not a baby and you've never done that I invite you to bring your children to God on that day and dedicate them to the Lord. If you would please let us know so we can be prepared for that. Um, we're so excited. I'm going to tell you this about child dedication, and then I'm going to stop talking. There are times as a parent you go through some really difficult seasons, and I can tell you there's a picture that we have of us dedicating one of our children to the Lord. And when I was going through a really tough time, and this child was going through a really tough time, God reminded me, you dedicated them to the Lord, and they are mine, and I am at work in their life, and it's going to be okay. And so sometimes we have to go back to those monuments, those times when we said, I'm giving this child to you, they belong to you. And so that's what child dedication is about. So if you've not done that, please let us know. It's a great day, and we invite you to do that. And I'm just going to pray, and we're going to go. Lord, I thank you for this day. Oh, one more thing. You can give. Give. That's what we're talking about today, and I forgot all about it. Three ways to give in Life Church: in person, online, or by text. There's giving centers in the back of the auditorium, and you can give there. Oh, Jesus, help us. Lord, we love you. I thank you, God. You are so good, and you have blessed us so abundantly. And today we are grateful and thankful that we can give back to your kingdom. I ask a blessing on all those here today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.